I'm going to uh, ask you to do something radical, and that's to take out the Pew Bible and to turn to John chapter 19, verses 28 and 29. And um, I'm going to, to read this, and I'm also going to ask you to keep your Bible open at least through the first maybe third of the sermon because I'm going to be referring to some places in the reading. And I will start by saying that, as Jim has already said, um, we are continuing on this Lenten journey in which we are visiting what our church has embedded in its tradition and called the seven last words from the cross. And today we are at I am thirsty. So as you look at verses 28 and 29, you will see that it begins with the words, after this, and the this to which it is referring is the passage that Donnie used as his sermon text last Sunday. It is the moving scene where Jesus, who is dying on the cross, looks down, and he first speaks to his mother, and he entrusts the beloved disciple, his friend, to the care of his own mother. And then he says to the beloved disciple, here's your mother. And in doing this, the esteemed Johannine scholar Raymond Brown says, Jesus was constituting a family, a family of preeminent disciples. And so following this powerful and moving scene, we come to the next scene beginning with verse 28, and let us listen for God's word to us today. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus said from the cross, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. For what then did Jesus thirst? At the literal level, it's a very easy question to answer. Jesus had just made the journey down the Via Dolorosa, and John, among the gospel writers, says that Jesus made this journey all by himself. He was not accompanied by Simon of Cyrene to take the load off of him for a bit, but he walked all the way down the Via Dolorosa to that place of the skull called Golgotha, where he would meet his death. And so the physical exertion from that trek, coupled with that horrific mode of execution, a crucifixion, certainly would have made him thirsty. And indeed, John, this gospel writer, emphasizes Jesus' physical thirst. He mentions that Jesus is given sour wine, and sour wine was a diluted, vinegary wine that was a common drink for soldiers and for laborers. 
um, when they had exerted themselves and were physically thirsty. So that's an easy question to answer on the physical level. He was thirsty for water or for wine or for whatever liquid would satisfy his thirst. However, in this text, John the Gospel writer places some details, some hints, if you will, that invite us to dip beneath the surface level and to look deeply. Here are a couple of those hints that he places there. The first of those is found in parentheses in the English translation. And the passage reads in verse 28, in order to fulfill the scripture. Now, those who are biblical scholars point us to a couple of places um, to which John may have been referring. They're both in the Psalms. One of them is Psalm 69, because there it is written, in order to satisfy my thirst, I was given vinegar to drink. There, scholars also say that it is possibly a reference to Psalm 22. And we know Psalm 22 because that is the psalm from which Jesus' words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, come. Later in that same psalm, we are given these words. My tongue is stuck to my jaw from hunger and from thirst. I myself am drawn to Psalm 63, although no scholars even mention that one. And I've chosen it for the Old Testament lesson today because it begins this way. Oh God, you are my God. My soul thirst for you. So that's the first detail. The second is the mention of the plant hyssop. And you'll see that in verse 29. And hyssop has a rich symbolic meaning in the biblical tradition and in Jewish and Christian theology. It's a plant, and we read that it's a plant that is so delicate that it could never hold up a sponge that would be soaked with that sour wine that was given to Jesus. But it has this symbolic value of taking us back to the Exodus. For hyssop was the plant that was used by the children of Israel when they slaughtered the lambs and they dipped this hyssop into that blood and then they brushed it very lightly on the doorpost just as the 10th plague was about to happen. And that sign on the doorpost allowed death to pass over the Israelite families and to open up that small window for them to leave the clutches of Pharaoh and to move out of slavery into freedom and toward that promised land. And John's already revisited this very image when in the very first chapter of the gospel according to John, he places in the mouth of John the baptizer 
Here is the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So here are a couple of details in the passage that John gives us that alert us to the fact that it is something here that is deeper than mere physical thirst. What we are given to see is that Jesus was thirsting for something more. And that more was a world that was ordered according to the relationship that he established between Mary and the beloved disciple, where there is a world where our relationship with each other is not defined by the fact that we share DNA with some people. And our relationship as neighbor to one another goes far beyond our responding when our next door neighbor texts us as she's coming home from work to tell us that she's delayed in traffic and would we please go out and get her dog and walk the dog. Neighbors so much more than that when Jesus tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Indeed, what Jesus is thirsting for is a world where when one person is thirsty, everyone is thirsty. And when a single person is hungry, everyone feels hunger. And ultimately, the thirst is for a recreated world a recreated world where there is no one who is hungry and no one who is thirsty. And Jesus is willing to give up his breath, his spirit, his blood, his life for this world. Not to condemn it, but in order that the world through him might be saved. So I believe this is that for which Jesus was thirsting as he died so long ago. This raises the question for us as we receive these words from Scripture today and they are brought forward into our present experience. What is Jesus thirsting for today. As I was pondering that question, I happened to come across an article that was published 10 days ago in USA Today. The reporter recounts the experience of the River of Life Church in Plano, Texas, and their pastor, Joe Renata. The pastor, Joe Renata, is a native Ukrainian, and his childhood was spent under the Russian regime before his family immigrated to the States. Today, this church, River of Life Church, 
has its members, Ukrainians, Russians, persons from Uzbekistan. And it's a hard time for the church. And there is great conflict there. Several families have left the church because they have said their pastor talks too much about war. Others have warned him that he's getting too political. Most of those who are members of the church are praying and hoping that the now decades gone oppression by the Russian regime will not be reinstated. And those hard-won political and religions possibilities for them will not be stolen. But there are a significant number of people in this congregation who are echoing Russian propaganda. And they truly believe in their hearts that the Russian invasion of Ukraine has been taken for very moral reasons to rescue Russian states so that they will not be invaded by Ukraine. The reporter interviewed the pastor and he said, I am so torn. I am trying to be the pastor for everyone. But it is hard. And then the reporter listened to him preach a sermon. And she took one line from that sermon and placed it in her reporting. And here is the line. A scared world needs a fearless church. A scared world needs a fearless church. As we bring Jesus' words, I am thirsty, forward into our experience, I'm moved to ask the question, are we being the fearless church for which Jesus is thirsting? Is Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church acting out that role to which a thirsting Christ is calling us? In some significant ways, I believe that we are. Donnie is spending a lot of time listening, and I believe listening fearlessly to the stories of those who are a part of this community of faith. And he's doing that as a first step. A first step so that each of us as an individual and all of us 
as a community of faith and look inward at ourselves and our own roles and our own stories and think about things that we could have done differently in the past. To confess those. To ask for and to receive forgiveness in order that we might move forward into a healed and a healthy future, able to make an even stronger witness to the freedom of Jesus Christ out in the community and in the world. So that's one way I see Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church being fearless these days. Another way is through our bridge builders and especially the opportunities that they are giving to us to wrestle with issues of race. And I think that is so important. It's so necessary, especially for a community of faith that gathers to worship every Sunday in a room that is encircled by a gallery where enslaved people once sat. And when it comes to Ukraine, I see us being fearless too. I've been told that our mission committees have already sent $5,000 to Presbyterian disaster assistance. And that's so important because it goes to mission co-workers who are there on the border receiving refugees. And it's so needed because it's not only the war that's happening now, but it's the ripple effect of that. You've read what I've read from the United Nations World Food Program that because Ukraine is a chief import exporter of grain, the ripple effect is going to be what the program says in 2022 is a year of catastrophic hunger, especially in Africa and in Europe. And so there's so many ways that we are being fearless. But as I read Jesus' words, I am thirsty. I also hear him thirsting for us to be even more fearless. And so let's be fearless, Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church. And right now, I'm going to be very direct. Direct to you as individuals as well as to the whole church about some ways. I'm going to challenge you to be fearless in some specific ways. And I will alert you. It has to do with your wallet. Yes, it has to do with money. And you know, I'm a lifelong Presbyterian, so I can say this. Presbyterians, we love our money. You know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, this is what we pray. We do not say, forgive us our trespasses. We do not say, forgive us our sins. We say, forgive us our... Y'all said that so quietly. <laughs> our debts. We use economic language 
even in our prayer, the Lord's Prayer. So here's the challenge, and it has to do with the offering, the One Great Hour of Sharing. The One Great Hour of Sharing is a denomination-wide offering for the Presbyterian Church USA and many other denominations, not just ours. In the Presbyterian Church, it's received basically on Easter, and it's divided generally in three ways, Presbyterian Disaster Assistance, the Presbyterian Hunger Program, and Self-Development of People. It's a kind of a continuum because one of the things that is a hallmark of our assistance that we make around the world and locally, I mean, in this country as well, is that um, we don't leave once the initial crisis has lessened. We work with partners who are on the ground living this every day, often at great risk to their lives. And once this kind of initial crisis has passed, we stay there, and we continue to support them and to go there ourselves. And you know, this war in Ukraine, is the effects of it are going to last for years and years and years. People are going to need to rebuild their homes and their lives. And the offerings that we make through one great hour of sharing and those who are leading that effort this year have said the majority of what we give through one great hour of sharing is going to be used for Ukraine and for those partners that we have who are receiving refugees in Eastern Europe. So here's the challenge. And I'm going to say right now, I'm going to make this challenge in three parts. The first part is for the kids. The second part is for our youth, for teens. The second is for the grown-ups. And um, like Jim said, a lot of us are really sleepy this morning because there's a lot of good basketball going on this weekend, including today. And um, so we might have started nodding off. We preachers know that people do that during sermons sometimes. So if you have, look at the people around you, and if somebody's nodding off, nudge them, please, <laughs> so that they hear this challenge, okay? Here's the challenge for the kids. Okay, we're, so we're going with this theme of thirst. And so what I challenge um, all of the kids to do, and you can share this with the kindergartners through second graders when you, when you get them back with you after worship, is sometime in the next three weeks, we've got two more weeks of Lent, and then we have the week after Easter, and I know that you've got spring break, some of you in, in all of that time. But at some point, to get together um, with your family, with some neighborhood friends, with some church friends, and set up a lemonade stand in your neighborhood. And make a sign that says, Jesus is thirsty for your contribution. Jesus is thirsty for your contribution to the people of Ukraine, or to one great hour of sharing, or you're great, you're creative, you'll know what to write. Then put that in an envelope, put your name on it, take your picture, bring it to church for the next three Sundays, and it'll go in with our one great hour of sharing offering. 
So here's the next challenge for those who are youth, who are teens. And you know, during the season of Lent, we often ask people to give something up. So I'm asking you, I'm challenging you to give something up, um, something that you like to do that you would spend your money on in the next three weeks, and just that one thing, and take that money that you would use, maybe going with the theme of thirst, it's stopping at Pitt Street Pharmacy to get a milkshake. Don't do it one day, and put that money in an envelope and bring it to church on one of the next three Sundays. Now for the grown-ups. Here's what I ask you to do. On your news feed, or if you still read the newspaper, the newspaper, your TV news, however you're getting your news about Ukraine, look closely at the faces there, the men and the women and the children. Look at them and see the face of a thirsting Jesus. And then make a contribution toward the alleviation of their suffering to one great hour of sharing. And make it an amount that you really feel. Now, we have a wide range of financial situations in this congregation. And for some of you, $5 will be a stretch. So I ask you to do that. For many of you, $5 is not a stretch. Maybe it's 500, maybe it's 5,000. I bet some of you even spend that much replenishing your wine cellar or your, <laughs> your um, liquor cabinet. <laughs> And it doesn't even put a dent in your personal routine of spending. So I ask you really to prayerfully think about that. And once you have, to write a check along with that PW birthday offering check and to put OGHS or One Great Hour or even Ukraine on the memo line, or go to our drop-down giving tab on the website, and you'll find right under PW Birthday Offering, you'll find one great hour of sharing. And key in your credit card or your debit card. And we do all of this because Jesus says, I am thirsty. I am thirsty for a fearless church. So my friends, come to the table. Come to the table and receive the cup of salvation that is offered to us by Jesus Christ who satisfies our every thirst. And as you receive that taste of the grape upon your tongue, pray that Christ will bring you to be a part 
of a preeminent, faithful, fearless community of disciples. Amen.